Hi, Mike Douglas here with The Mike Douglas Show. We're visiting with Jim Morgan from meettheneed.org here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV and with Advancing Vibrant Communities. I want to visit with Jim regarding his recent and I think very poignant blog post, Do We Really Want Church to Return to Normal? Well, Jim Morgan, from your perspective, looking down at the church of the 21st century from, you know, say 32,000 feet, and and you do have a unique perspective. How has the American church been doing uh, in its efficacy in in this century? And uh, are are we being effective? Are we losing uh, influence? If, If so, why? Well, it's funny you mentioned kind of looking down. I, one thing I want to mention at the outset here is that I'm really looking up because I love and we all love the church. We want to see the church uh, succeed. We want to see the church uh, glorify God. We want to see the church have a tremendous impact in our world, in our nation. And so I'm looking, I'm looking up. But to answer, to answer your question, it is interesting to, to watch the trends and the megatrends around church in America and, and see how it diverges from where Scripture may say the church should be. And there are, there are some trends that are, that are pretty well defined. It seems like to us uh, who, are, who are in the know and kind of watching to see what churches are doing, that this divergence from the, the biblical definition of church is an ecclesia, which is the assembly of called-out ones. It's individuals who are called out, who assemble to worship and fellowship, and serve the Lord. And then the word, the English word uh, for church, Kirk, is the fellowship of those belonging to the Lord. Once again, referring to individuals and not to an institution. Yet, we seem to have institutionalized a little bit uh, church and made it about a place or a pastor or an event that takes place and not about individuals. When that happens, when you look at at the church as an institution, and you want to sustain that institution, uh, then it behooves uh, sometimes churches to to take the position of of trying to attract and retain people. And when you're attracting and retaining, there can be that sense that we're treating people as as a customer of the church. And and I would argue that the biblical definition of church would position uh, members of a church as more the uh, the employees who, rather than catering to people to, to hope that they'll come back next Sunday, we should be uh, training them more like employees to go out and pursue the real customer, which is those who don't know the Lord, who don't know Jesus, and who are hopeless and just looking for, for answers to life's biggest questions. And so that, that kind of contrast of challenging employees uh, versus catering to customers is a really interesting thing to look at when it comes to you know where the church is now, how we've seen it like a place, an event, a pastor, versus really equipping and empowering individuals to go be the church where they are. And there's really no time I can think of than right now with the, the pandemic and, and pandemonium that the church would have now probably wishes they've done a better job of equipping and empowering us to be the church where we are, relegated to our homes, our neighborhoods. Uh, we wish we'd done a better job, I think, at this point. A lot of pastors are, are kind of regretting, I think, not having done more to, to decentralize church 
and to make it what it really is intended to be biblically. Well, I think as we uh, look back in in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, I think it is, uh, Paul really gives uh, an assignment or a mission to church leaders, right, to equip the saints to minister. And uh, it, it sounds like that that mission has been diluted somewhat in in our current uh, American churchiness, right? Yeah, if you look at, like, First Peter talks about that the Christ is the cornerstone and we are the living stones that make up that church, that, that make up the building. The stones, you know, erect the building. And and really, that's a model that I think has been has been compromised somewhat. And we're feeling the effects of that in terms of the church's influence and impact and and growth and even public perception. I think that there's uh, there's a a sense now that church is not as compassionate and caring and outward focused as it as it could or should be. And when you do that, you, you lose a little bit of the voice. You know, the voice that we have into culture, you've got to earn the right to speak to culture. I, I'm concerned that we've a lot of people feel like they don't want to hear from the church or pastors or Christians because we haven't we haven't really earned the equity. We spent too much equity by uh, by trying to build institutions versus building versus building disciples. Yeah, it would seem to me, Jim, that that involves building relationships with the community, and that that takes time and and connection, right? Well, most of all, it takes, I think, compassion and just a, a true caring and, and a love for those, uh, for everyone. I mean, I, I love our neighbors. Our neighbors are not just those who live next door to us, but it's our, our neighbors are, are everyone, including those who are very different than us. And that's, that's really where, you know, when you're, I talk about kind of the, the ground, there's a culture war in America. We can't doubt that there's a culture war going on. And, and you can choose to fight an air war. Uh, an air war of kind of dropping verbal bombs from you know thirty thousand feet, as you mentioned before, but you know otherwise, otherwise there's a there's a, a ground war that you could be fighting to mobilize you know millions of people who of Christians who occupy our pews and our churches across the nation to mobilize them to you know prayer, care, and share lifestyles among uh, all those that they are, are around in their circles of influence. There's so much more power and leverage. In, in mobilizing a ground war than, than dropping verbal bombs. A, a bigger megaphone, a louder megaphone, you know, is not, is not working. You know, we think that by occupying the mountaintops, taking, you know, control of uh, or having influence over, you know, schools and government and things like that is going to be the way that, that um, you know, this culture war should be fought. But I, I just don't think it's that. I think it's, we should be fighting uh, on the foundation of, of love as, as the chosen weapon. Well, Jim, with that framework now, we have COVID-19 for the past couple of months, and obviously, uh, and we're in California, of course, and and our restrictions are are pretty high, and as uh, I mentioned before in the introduction, lawsuits are flying left and right and and such. COVID-19, I think, for for many uh, church leaders is seen as an obstacle, and yet uh, in in your recent uh, writings, uh, you take a slightly different viewpoint that there may be some opportunity here with COVID-19 that, that we're missing. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, well, first of all, just to, to be really fair and honest about this, I mean, the coronavirus, you know, and COVID-19, you know, pandemic is, is a, a very difficult thing for a lot of people. Uh, nothing I'm going to say 
about to say it should be taken hopefully as as me saying this is a good thing. Um, it is a it's a horrible thing financially and and, and health wise for so many people. And I want to I want to put that in in context first of all. But with that being said, I think that the the Lord does tend to provide uh, or, or allow for um, for for wake up calls to happen and awakening to happen and. You know, people do bad things, and there's like 9-11, people did some bad things, but uh, you could not get a seat in church for a couple of months because people were questioning, uh, you know, whether they'd be around tomorrow, what what was going to happen next, and feeling insecurity about tomorrow and and thinking about mortality does tend to be a wake-up call, And, and as bad as this pandemic is, it's amazing to to watch the statistics on how many people are Googling the word prayer. Record numbers are Googling the word prayer. Record numbers tripling and quadrupling of the number of folks that are are, uh, tuning in and clicking links uh, online for things like global media outreach and for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, which have opportunities online, if you do searches, to, to link up with them and, and talk about and ask questions about faith and about afterlife and, and the meaning of life, things like that. And they're, they're seeing record numbers of people who are, who are really interested right now more than in a long time to find out what this is all about and, and what life's all about and are, are reconsidering uh, sometimes a stance that they've had that's been pretty firm on, on not believing in God or having a very kind of uh, distant relationship from him. Uh, they're they're willing to kind of rethink that and get closer to him possibly, at least asking questions that may head in that direction. So, and even the fact that you, know, you look at doctors and and you look at, uh, at at the government, who's trying to figure out about how this disease, how it works, how to eradicate it, um, how to deal with the government's trying to deal with, you know, the economy and society in the context of social distancing. And they're struggling, and and yet atheists have so much faith in the human intellect. That's almost like the god that that many atheists tend to worship is is uh, is human intellect. And yet the capacity to resolve this these issues that present themselves around COVID nineteen is calling into question, you know, the capacity of human intellect and that faith that they have. And that that does cause people to look other directions for where their faith should lie. So for those of us who are in vocational ministry, do you see that we're fielding that uh, rise in interest in spirituality right now, or are we ready for that? Are we embracing it? Are we meeting it where it occurs, or are we concentrating too much on getting back inside the four walls and, and, and surviving, so to speak? Well, this, this is where I think the, the woulda, coulda, shoulda comes in of, of now pastors are looking at, you know, they wish they had done a better job of preparing people to be the church, you know, where they are. And I'm not even sure that, that people are that comfortable. Uh, it's a little difficult, it is, to, to share your faith with somebody who doesn't believe what you believe. That, that's, that's a difficult thing. And answering hard questions that many people have, it's usually the same questions people have, you know, how, how could a good God, you know, allow for bad things to happen? Um, do all roads 
really lead to the same place? And there's some hard questions that people tend to ask, the same questions that I'm not sure most of our church members are really prepared well to respond to. And if we've done a better job before of preparing our members to to share their faith, to, to care for those in need, there's a lot of folks in need, our neighbors, that we know about their needs, but we tend to go, and we have been for a long time, you know, getting back to our homes and closing our garage doors and going about our business, yet the pandemic has exposed all kinds of opportunities uh, for spiritual conversations because folks are more interested now in having those conversations. They have more needs than they've had in a long, in a long time in the institutional church that you know, we typically invite our friends to come to with us next Sunday and hear the gospel from a professional, you know, now we're supposed to be, we should have been better prepared to be that individual who could have shared their faith in the absence of, of having a place to invite them to when the churches are closed. So what are some of the opportunities, uh, Jim, that you see maybe technologically that can help the church as a whole connect <clears throat> with the uh, community right now? You talked about prayer, care, share. And uh, just from my perspective with Advancing Vibrant Communities, uh, you and, and meetthenead.org have uh, been a tremendous resource in being able to do that. Let, uh, would you talk a little bit about the efficacy of reaching out and serving the needs of others a, as a method of developing those trusting relationships? Well, one, one thing that we did we, we couldn't you know meet the need we, we built solutions that as you know that tried to bridge those communication gaps <clears throat> between those in need and those who can help so when coronavirus hit and people started struggling and the opportunity to be good neighbors from wherever you are you know relegated to in your in your neighborhood in your house we we could, had to act we had to do something and so we we actually took an application a system that we had built uh, a while back a couple of years ago for a movie about a football game where a christian school was playing against a juvenile detention center and of course the juvenile detention center had no fans no cheerleaders no one to to root them on to so the christian school it's in texas this took place a few years back took half of their fans half their cheerleaders half the parents went to the opposing side and cheered for that opposing team. And amazing things occurred as a result. And that movie that uh, is still being made, still forthcoming, you can look out for that. But the movie, the app we built, when you leave the theater, you can find opportunities near you, in your neighborhood, your area, to kind of pay it forward from what you saw in the movie to those uh, who were struggling, you know, in your local area. And so we found a way to repurpose that app for, to become Love Your Neighbor, which is a system we've rolled out for free. All of our things are free. All of our solutions are free. We're a nonprofit, a Christ-centered a nonprofit, public charity, so we uh, don't charge for this. But it, it allows churches to kind of see where their members all are and to empower those members to post needs of those neighbors to the anonymously and privately, of course, but back to the overall church to see who can help those families to kind of rally around and build circles of support around those families that are in need. And we're working on a lot of solutions like that. We really think that church is, in general, about to start to decentralize more and, and be less building-centric and more disciple-centric. And so we're preparing. We've been investing a, a lot of money and time for years now into solutions that are still forthcoming with artificial intelligence to, um, to, to provide more of a basis for neighbors to, to take care of those around them. 
Jim, uh, g- going back, and, and not to get preachy here at all, but looking back at Isaiah 43, the prophet uh, uh, records this, Behold, I'm <clears throat> doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Uh, that last phrase, do you not perceive it, to me has been very convicting uh, in terms of am I, am I paying attention to what's happening here and maybe in the angst of everything that I see and feel, I'm not looking for where God is working. Where do you see God working in all of this uh, right now as uh, congregations, nonprofits, ministries have to adapt to a new way of, of reaching the community? Well, there there is a significant um, portion of kind of churchdom, consultants and advisors and articles and books that are coming out that are, that are trying to tell people how to maintain the status quo, that, that what, where church has been has been just fine, and, we, and people are, are praying away the pandemic, just please let this be over so we can get back to business as usual, get back to normal, you know, quote-unquote. And I, I really believe that this, you know, a new thing, you know, do we perceive it, I'd hate to see us miss the opportunity and not perceive what is happening now uh, to to shift the status quo in a new direction because there is that risk that all we'll do is just I talk about you know kind of shifting the uh, the Walmart store to Amazon you know the, the brick and mortar store to going online and just shift church from being meeting in a building to how do we do online services better that that would be a major miss to, in my mind as opposed to discipling and, and mobilizing, you know, the church to, to be the living stones and, and in our communities. So I, I'd hate to see that happen, but I, I think there's a significant power um, struggle right now, and the advice has not been so good by many, because I think that if you look at the number of, of buildings, church buildings out there, and the number of uh, pastors trained to be, to do one job, which is to pastor a church, then that's a, that's, a, that's a lot of uh, that's a serious um, set of forces that are that are pulling back to the norm, to the status quo, and how you make that break is I can't imagine anything uh, more more obvious in terms of perception. Do you not perceive it? That, that how can we miss this? This seems like a pretty obvious time to shift the model, and even going back to the traditional model. For doing church, a lot of folks are, are anxious about going back to the building and, and not social distancing, or even social distancing, but being in the same you know room with a lot of people. There's an opportunity right here to shift the model. And, and once, if we go back to the norm, when's the next best opportunity to, to shift the model to really what the Bible describes as as the true church, as Christ intended? Jim, you bring up uh, an, an interesting point here regarding training of, uh, of clergy. And I, I'm thinking back to, what, five years ago when I initiated my, my dissertation, and I got you on the phone and we talked about some of these, uh, these issues. Uh, are we doing, and, and I've spent a lot of time in seminary, and, but I want you to, to speak to this, are we doing a good job of preparing our clergy, preparing our shepherds, preparing our pastors to actually be pastors and shepherds? Well, I, I wonder. You know I wonder about these things as well. And, and, you know, one thing is some of these obvious misses. If, some, if we're educating our pastors 
as well as we should be, then, then how can you miss something so obvious as the definition of church? <laughs> it just seems like if, if we're you know, making it about a place, an event, and a pastor, and not empowering and equipping our members, and we're treating them like customers, not as employees, and if we're not getting Jesus' model for healing and feeding and then saying who he was uh, as his model for evangelizing, and now we try to out-preach Jesus by just sharing the gospel and by doing very little except for seasonal to serve the poor, when Jesus was healing and feeding and, and again, then saying who he was, which is the gospel, I just, I just there's, there's some, something wrong there. Something's not being driven home. It's like the seminary seminaries too are are, are preaching this the same kind of model of of how to run an organization and and how to run it effectively and how to keep keep people coming back. They're sustaining and not breaking the mold of of what we've come to believe that church is in America, which I think is just is off base. And other other countries have some of this too. I think America exports a good deal of this to other countries, but in other, many other countries, especially where Christianity is, is, uh, it's impossible to be a cultural Christian. It's not in vogue to be a Christian. You may be persecuted for it. There's a very different model for how they do church. And one I think that oftentimes looks more like, um, you know, like what the Bible says, and you do see more explosive growth in the church and Christianity in those nations where the church looks more like a decentralized, set of empowered disciples. Jim, in your recent uh, post, do we really want church to return to normal? Uh, and, and you know, w- without getting too deep, but I think we need to discuss this in terms of historicity anyway, uh, the, the roots of what th- this word we call, uh, that we call revival and uh, that's thrown ar- around a lot in in uh, the the context of church vocabulary today. And I think sometimes it means different things to different people. Can you uh, just give us a, a thumbnail sketch? You in, in in your article talk about the roots of spiritual revival and and uh, seven elements of that. Then you uh, talk about you know the contemporary strategies for revitalization. And then finally, you look at, you know, maybe these are the things that we need to be considering, uh, seven points, but seven points that kind of return to those earlier uh, best practices of what revival really means. Uh, can you explain that for us a bit right now? And, and, and again, I know I'm, we don't have hours to do this, but I would like you to cover this because I think you make some salient points there that we need to hear. Well, when I talk about revival in, in the context of that post and in general, what I'm referring to is, is a reawakening uh, of our nation. Uh, sometimes people refer to revival as a meeting, like we had a revival. I'm not referring to, to a meeting or a conference or something like that, that uh, or a gathering that, that somebody held that they would call a revival. I mean actually a, a reawakening of our nation to um, the veracity of Scripture and, and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I'm referring to here. And, and there, if you look back at the, and it kind of did a, a study kind of looking at, at revivals and, and there's reawakening periods in our nation's history. In the 19th century, there were some. In the 20th century, there were, there were periods 
of, of the country turning back to the Lord, you know, a large number of people, you know, millions and millions turning back to the Lord, it can be considered almost a movement. And, and so there were some characteristics that were common about those that I kind of analyzed and, and, and you know, Lord willing, came up with a, a good list um, of what I thought was common to those. And, you know, one was that they were prayerful. You know, there was unity in asking for, for God to move because ultimately nothing we do is going to really um, move the needle. I mean, God has got to do something or nothing's going to happen. <laughs> and second of all, repentance. I mean, there's a degree to which you look at Israel of these kind of cycles of, okay, we're off track, you know, and now we repent. We've been sinning, Lord. We, we repent of our sin, and then God begins to bless them, and then they get that taste of prosperity again and get back off track, and then, you know, it's just this cycles back and forth. But there's this sense of repentance, like, Lord, we've turned away from you. It's time for us to, to turn back, and, and please forgive us. And then this dependency, you know, third, is you know, kind of trading a, a cultural Christianity for something more authentic and giving God the credit. We're, we're just kind of falling on our knees and saying, God, you're in control and, and not us. And, and there's really nowhere I can think of than COVID where if something comes out of left field, not expected. Like I said we, before, we can't stop it. The doctors can't stop it yet. Maybe we'll find a, a vaccine at some point, but government can't figure it out. There's a degree to which we have to admit that somebody else has more control than human beings. You know, last, you know, or fourth, the Spirit led that the Holy Spirit, you know, there's things that are happening, miracles that happen in these revivals where some, they couldn't be explained. There was something going on that was beyond kind of human comprehension or, or explanation. Uh, fifth was imperishable, you know, taking an internal, eternal perspective. I, I, the more I live and think about these things, almost nothing is more important than looking at what's to come and not just at this life, this, this battle of looking at, you know, almost like focusing on the dot versus the line, the dot being life as we know it here on earth, and the line being eternity that's to come. And if we focus on the, the line and not the dot, I think we have a, a better chance of really aligning with what God's will is for us uh, in this life. You know, scriptural, it's, whatever revival happens, it's not going to be uh, something that goes off uh, Left, you know, off the left field and and away from Scripture, it's going to align with what God has told us in His Word. And so, if you see something happening, you know, spiritually, and you're chasing after it, and it's not aligned with Scripture, I would turn back around and head the other direction. <laughs> uh, yeah, last sacrificial. I just think that's also important. Revivals usually involve action of compassion and and people making a difference, and not just talk and and sermons and and speaking about what's right and wrong and you know what should be happening and shouldn't be happening but but taking action because no amount of it just comes across as judgment if you're if you're saying things you're not backing it up with love and compassion it just sounds like a like the bible says a clanging gong and a and a you know, symbol it's just it's not going to sound like love and compassion and the world's going to close their ears to it so it, it's if it's real revival it's going to start in the heart, and it's going to emanate out into our actions. Jim, you mentioned uh, compassion. I think what we've found, those of us who, who've been in the trenches for a while, that people who are really hurting, uh, whether it's physically, spiritually, emotionally, and usually it's a combination of, of all three or more, they can sense when we're coming at them in a manipulative way versus when we're coming to them with mercy 
and compassion. Have you found that as well, that, that there's almost an instantaneous recognition of what the motivations are? Yeah, pe- people are smarter than we, all people are smarter than we think that they are. They, they're, they're seeing what we're doing. I, I, any kind of evangelism is good. I mean, any, any type of sharing your faith is a great thing. But it's just, Jesus, again, had the perfect words. No one spoke better words than him. And yet he knew he had to proceed those with, with mercy and compassion, healing and feeding and things like that. And so we've got to do likewise. And it just it comes across a little bit disingenuous, like we're trying to maybe chalk up points, like you're earning points, which we don't. That's not how Christianity works. It's entirely Jesus and his works or his work on the cross that, that saves us, not our own works that can save us. There's plenty of religions out there if you want one that's to talk about works and things you can do to earn your way into God's good grace or God's graces, then there's, there's plenty of options for you. But Christianity is the only faith that says this entirely what Christ did and not what we do. So if we look like we're trying to earn points by just, you know, passing by somebody, saying a few quick words about, you know, about Jesus or saying, hey, you're going to, to hell, and we try to do that, you know, fire and brimstone kind of thing, it's just it's going to come across – in, in the wrong way, and it probably should. We, we need to, to show our love and demonstrate that before we think we've, again, earned the equity, earned the right to, to even speak into culture or speak into that person's life. And that can even be like with Jesus at the woman at the well, where he came over to her and he didn't do anything nice for her. He just began to talk to her, which I guess even that back then and the cultural differences of talking to her and who she was and where she came from was considered back then a, a major social faux pas. And you know, even speaking to her, I guess, was was a kind, you know, act of compassion. But just getting to know her, ask questions about her, talk to her, showing that he already knew who she was before she even shared who she was, you know, we get a miracle there. You know, that's, that's an act of compassion, just even to talk to somebody and take time out to get to know them and asking those questions before we jump into sharing our faith. And just, it's just hard to lead uh, with faith versus compassion. What I'm sensing is is the answers that we're looking for. The media often leads us into uh, sociological answers or political policy answers or ideological answers. Uh, it seems to me that the answer, although a lot of people may not like it, is God. And uh, that absent uh, a, a divine dose of his love, grace, and mercy right now, I'm not sure that we're going to experience much relief uh, from all of this. Would you... Would you concur with that? Yeah, I think even where I'm concerned, and we're talking about the church today, and we're talking about what's happening and trends with the church, I would even look at the church and say that the church is providing some worldly answers to to what is really a, a problem with a relationship with the Lord, and that, that dose of God that even the church needs, because we, we tend to, in the you know, 21st century, imitate the world in many ways, you know, more and more. And if you look at, at the, what the consultants and articles are saying to churches right now, as we talk about the, the church, what it's going to look like post-pandemic, you're getting advice like, we just need to lead better. You know, let's just uh, let's do a better job of casting, casting a vision. Get it on the same page with where the church is going to go. When do we open the church? When do a lot of people back in? Um, you know, if we just do a better job of, of accountability and delegating responsibility, this is a difficult time. Let's all rally the troops. Let's get the volunteers. You know, let's reengage everyone. 
get the volunteers back on board. Let's get the, the, the groups and the, and the small groups and the, and the ministry, internal ministries, you know, ramp back up again. Let's re-engage all of them. Let's, uh, you know, make sure that when they, people start coming back to our church that we're very hospitable, we're very friendly, so we can make them feel at home and, uh, and provide a really good digital experience. You know, let's do a really good job of being online and having a good presence there online. All those things sound like the world's answers, businesses' answers to how they would get the business back up and going again upon, you know, reopening past, you know, COVID. And uh, so I just, I'm concerned that even the church could use a dose of God sometimes, and we're listening too much to worldly answers to, uh, to really scriptural questions. Amen to that. Uh, Jim, as we close, and, and I, again, I, I hate to try to force this into an elevator speech, so uh, do take the time you need, but uh, you have uh, been the founder of a tremendous resource in meettheneed.org. And uh, again, we at Advancing Vibrant Communities uh, could not do what we do without your technology, seriously. And so can you give us just a, a quick overview of how Meet the Need came to be and how people can connect with it uh, wh- wherever they are uh, across the world? Well, the, the backstory is kind of, kind of funny, but it was, I, was in, I came from Wall Street, uh, investment banking, went into to management consulting, uh, business school, all these kinds of things, and, and had this career that was going really well in my early 30s, though, as a Christian, realized I wasn't doing much to serve God or serve others, and began to pray quite a bit about a bigger, a better path than just becoming like the investment banking management consultant, very wealthy but very worldly people that, uh, that I was kind of on the track of. And the Lord, you know, I started going to church, and I was, I was going to church in Atlanta, and I, and I asked that church, you know, where, with my skills and interests, I could make a difference in the community and go to something to help the poor. And it was amazing to find out that this very large church had really no connections or visibility into the needs in Atlanta and, and the ministries that were working there, and pretty quickly realized that the church had become separated from compassion, that Jesus' model of you know healing and feeding first and then sharing the gospel, who he is, had been replaced by churches will do church, will do, you come hear the gospel here, but compassion is handled by somebody else, you know, outside the church, and those parachurch ministries and, and things like that across the city, and I, I, there's this disconnect, and so Meet the Need began this 20-year project, I was a consultant anyway, this became a, a little project, a little private project on the side, while I was still working in consulting, to begin to see, can we start to bridge some of these gaps between uh, those in need and those who can help in cities, not just in Atlanta, but across the nation. We're actually based in, in Tampa. Now we moved uh, to Tampa soon thereafter, about 18 years ago. But it's just amazing to watch how uh, the doors have, have flown open, you know, for Meet the Need as a nonprofit, again, not charging, to be able to but get on the forefront of issues like homelessness and hunger relief and foster care, trying to, to mobilize the body of Christ, the church and, and ministries to collaborate better around what these needs are across our nation. And just praise God for all the miracles that he's done in, in our ministry. And because when you not, you know, when you spend millions building software and, and building solutions, 
that then you give away for nothing. It's about the worst business model you can ever think of. <laughs> so so how, how in the world does, does somehow that actually work? And here we are 20 years later and, and very successful. And the impact that we've been able to have, you know, ministries and churches and, and families that are struggling, you know, and causes across this nation and really other parts of the world, some too, it is pretty pretty unfathomable and, and had no idea what God was going to do through this little idea that blossomed into something that was uh, much bigger than we ever imagined. Well, Jim, thank you for answering the call, and, and thank you for what you do and, and your tremendous team there as well. Uh, Jim Morgan has uh, been our guest today. Jim, I know you're a busy guy. Thanks so much for taking time to, to be with us, and uh, keep on keeping on. We, we so much appreciate what you do. That's my pleasure. God bless you, and God bless you all.